certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. I just want to go to sleep and wake up and this will all be a bad dream. These are the words of Bradley Edwards the day he was arrested. The videotaped police interview today played to a packed courtroom in the trial of the century. Welcome to day 84 of Claremont in Conversation, a day many of you have been waiting for, the first time we hear the man accused of the Claremont serial killings speak. Natalie Bongiolo, Tim Clark and Alison Fan with you tonight as we take you through this extraordinary day's evidence. So, Tim and Ali, it's been pretty quiet in the court for the past few weeks, but Tim, tell us what was it like in there today? Uh, well, standing room only, I suppose, Nat, um uh, social distancing um, in place, but um, that so that meant the court was um, not as full as it could have been and probably would have been. But um, they, they were queuing out of the door again this morning, um, at very early, about nine thirty, um, and so obviously interest. It has waned a little bit, given the, the, the technical nature and forensic nature of the evidence. But as you said at the intro, this is what everyone's been waiting to hear from, which is Mr. Edwards himself. Um, and uh, the, the crowds <laughs> back at the district court building this morning showed that um, that everyone really wanted to, to, to hear what Mr. Edwards had to say. Yeah, that's right. And we know just from those of you listening to this podcast, you've been emailing us and telling us you were going to go down for this day and that you were waiting for this day. Ali, was there a mood in court today? Oh, absolutely. It resembled the very first few days of when the trial began back in November. Everyone was quite excited. Some were quite upset when they were turned away. They didn't realise that they had to be spaced out as much as they did. But certainly, in fact, we were all queuing up. But there was also the media were flowing over into the public gallery because there were more media uh, reps there than normal. And so it was a very, very crowded court, yes. And in terms of uh, those in attendance, who was there? Were there the victims, the victims' families? Just talk us through that. Well, they were all there. They were the victims, the victims' family, the, the two victims of a sexual attack. Um, Bradley Edwards' parents, who have been there all of the time, they actually look quite visibly upset um, for the first time. Normally, they just sit there with sort of fairly bland expressions on their face. But it was a very, very crowded courtroom. And, of course, um, as Tim would remind me, a very famous cricketer was there as well. <laughs> yes, um, a, a, I think we can call him a friend of the podcast, given that he has sent us questions and we have answered those okay. questions. Cameron Bancroft, who um, some of our uh, listeners might uh, remember, was a, is a, an opening test batsman for Australia um, and also an avid listener um, to us. Um, and I was still on the corner just keeping an eye out for our photographer when um, when Cameron came up and introduced himself and thanked us for what we did. And I thanked him for his uh, entertainment he's given me over the years because I love <laughs> watching Cameron as a batsman. Um, and uh, he said, oh, look, I've never been to court before, so where do I go? <laughs> so oh, uh, happy, to, happy to direct him up, up in the lift. And Cameron was one of the many people that were, that, that stayed most of the day to, to listen to this evidence. 
and probably, like many, making his very first visit to a courtroom. Okay, let's talk through what you both saw and heard in that police video, starting with the arrest of Bradley Edwards at his home, and this is on December the 22nd in 2016. Now, this captures the moment the police tell him why he's being arrested. Tim, what do they say to him, and how does he respond? Yeah, well, this this was really, I mean, just confronting footage, I think, for so many reasons. Um, firstly, this was the first time we'd ever hear, heard Mr. Edwards make any sort of um, reply or response to the, the admissions to put that were put to him and have been put to him for the last three years. But not only that, this was the very first time he was hearing them himself, we mm. think. So this was just moments after the armed tactical response group had burst into his home at 7.30 in the morning, um, literally taken him to the ground, handcuffed him, and then basically placed him on the floor, sat in his own passageway, and Detective Joe Maripodi, who has sat in court for all these days, we saw him in a very different position, which is in Mr Edwards' home, standing above Mr Edwards, telling him why he's just been arrested and handcuffed and the allegations against him. And those allegations were the willful murder of Kira Glennon, the willful murder of Jane Rimmer, and the... the, the, the murder of Cyrus Beers. And Mr. Edwards's expression on his face was one of complete um, bemusement, confusion, um, shock, um, much like the reaction of the rest of Perth when we found out that he had been arrested and what he'd been charged for some 24 hours later. And and then he appeared in court for the first time. It was was a, a, a real stunning piece of of criminal history i suppose certainly in this state um because that is the arrest that we've waited or the most of perth had waited for for more than 20 years and there it was up on screen happening um in real time before our very eyes incredible and when he when uh detective maripodi says to him that he's being arrested on the suspicion of murdering jane and kira what's his actual response does what does he say he said, why me? Why are you accusing me? I'm innocent. It was quite, um, I, I found it quite, um, I was unex- it was a, a, something that it, it just threw me because I don't know what I expected, but certainly not this dazed, um, almost accepting um, manner. And, and as Tim said, confused, but uh, it didn't appear to be indignant or it just said, just kept saying, why, why choose me? Um, I'm innocent. And then even uh, when the police were very, very careful about the way they cautioned him and read his rights, he kept interrupting. They said, oh, hang on, just listen to us and we'll read your rights. Um, He didn't seem to be really with it to me. Mm. What did you make of his demeanour and his reaction, Tim? Yeah, um, I mean, overall it was shocked, stunned, bemused, as Ali said, he was at times struggling in that first interview or the first search sort of um, arrest interview. He was struggling to get his words out in some way. Um, mm. and, some of them, and some of those words were a bit choice. Um, Such I as? Think, I think the um, shortened expression is WTF um, was one of mm. his reactions to what mm. he had been alleged to have done. Um, and then it was just denial You're joking. and denial You're joking, and denial. Yeah, yeah. yeah you have mm. to be joking me. So, mm. you know, and as Ali said, he was struggling to um, elucidate in, the, in those early moments after the arrest. Mm. But we have to remember, 
Uh, it's very early in the morning. He obviously wasn't expecting the police to be there. Um, and he certainly probably wasn't expecting to hear what he was hearing from, from Detective Maripodi. Yeah. Um, but though that, that sort of um, level of denial didn't didn't waver we have to say and through all of the hours of the interview that followed um when when the same allegations were put to him in slightly different ways over um, several hours um following in the formal interview that came a little bit later in the day right so basically what happens next is that uh, mr edwards is then taken to police headquarters and this is where this formal interview takes place um now for this portion of the evidence we've enlisted the help of reporter josh Gar- josh gallop and he will read <coughs> some of the uh spoken by Bradley Edwards in that interview. So, Tim, can you just tell us uh, that particular interview, you're now at police headquarters, what does that look like on screen? What are you seeing there? Yeah, stark, white, soundproof room with a circular table in the middle. The camera is placed in the roof of that room, looking down upon the interview. And what you can see is Mr Edwards um, at the top of the screen, um, sitting at, if the if the round table is a clock, he's sitting at 12 o'clock. He was wearing a red polo shirt, um, stubble, glasses, quite a bit heavier than he um, appears today and has appeared in court. And then you've got um, Detective Maripodi on um on Mr. Edwards's left, or the right as we look at it, and Detective Aaron Capes, who's the Detective Maripodi's colleague, sat um, on the other side of the table. So just three of them, round a table. Um, Mr. Edwards had a bottle of water. Um, the two detectives had notes in front of them. And um, that is where the, 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 the rest of the interview took place um, over, over several um, hours. And, and this interview uh, starts at police headquarters just before 10am and goes mm. right through, obviously with breaks when they have to take breaks, but goes through uh, till midnight almost that mm-hmm. night, um, which is an extraordinary uh, ty- you know, thing in itself. Ali, one of the first things you hear in this video is Detective Maripodi asking Mr Edwards if he's okay. How does he respond to that? Well, they, they asked him all the time. They were very careful and very cautious. They kept reminding him, are you okay? Would you like a break? Um, he was fine to just carry on. It was almost like he was chatting at some stages. I found it almost disconcerting the way he was um, reacting to them, uh, at sometimes sort of rambling about things, other times um, quite vague. But um, they were very careful about asking if he wanted anything to eat or drink and, and so forth. And again, about the lawyer, he made some response about um, not in America, they asked you um, if you want a lawyer, but he said, I don't know any lawyers. And they said, well, we can sort of get one for you if you're okay. And he, he didn't seem to react um, really to me very strongly to anything they said. So we have a little bit of um, uh, those words that Bradley Edwards spoke when he was asked this about his rights and would he like to uh, speak with the lawyer and this is some of what he had to say. I don't know if I need to or not. You've accused me of all this stuff. I didn't even think I'd be in this situation. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I need to contact a lawyer. In America they say contact a lawyer and everyone's got a lawyer on speed dial. I don't know anyone. And then Detective Maripodi said he could give him a phone book to contact a lawyer, to which he responded, I don't know what to do, sorry. I just want to go to sleep and wake up and this will all be a bad dream. What you've accused me on are obviously pretty serious things, so I don't know what to do. 
Obviously, the response is that I'm innocent. I don't know why you're accusing me of it. Tim, this is exactly what we were uh, talking about last night a little bit, wasn't it? About whether would he have had a lawyer or not. So I found this absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and this this took up a large portion of the start of the interview, I have to say. I mean, it, 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 even before they got to any... Um, accusations or allegations or anything like that detective maripodi over and over again try or makes sure that mr edwards understands his rights his rights not to have to answer any questions if he doesn't want to to answer only questions that he feels comfortable answering and then if he wants a lawyer or a break or something to eat or a rest at any stage he has the right to say to them i want to stop or i don't want to answer that or can I have a break? Ensuring his comfort, and we discussed this mm. with Damien last night. Yep. The, the, this this is very much part of the police procedure. They have this drummed into them, um, particularly at this level. I mean, and you probably wouldn't get higher than this level of interview in terms of the the you know the the ramifications if you got it wrong or didn't do the right thing i should put it that way um and so for at least five minutes probably closer to 10 they're just over and over making sure that mr edwards understands his rights and that um application for a lawyer or his right to speak to a lawyer if they if he wants one is is laid out to him in various ways over over those minutes just to make absolutely sure that he understands um what his rights are in that situation. They even got him to uh, repeat back to make mm. sure that, that that he understood. Now, do you understand when I say you don't have to answer? And that it could be, and he repeated back each time. So they were going over absolutely every step of the way that um, Bradley Edwards understood what he was being told, that anything he said, he didn't have to answer, he didn't have to reply. So it was an incredibly careful and cautious um, interview. And just watching um, him, him make that consideration, did it look like he was humming and harring or to and froing, or was he quite decisive that once he'd made up his mind he was going to speak, that um, he made up his mind quite quickly? Yeah, he was just chatting. It was almost like a chatting um, atmosphere, yeah. wasn't it? It, was, it wasn't sort of like a, an interrogation and a reply. At some stages it was just like a chat. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I just found it quite unnerving, actually. Um, I, find, I find it fascinating in terms of an interview technique because, mm. obviously, as a journalist, you um, learn or you hope to learn, observe how other people interview other people mm. to get the responses that you're looking for. So as, a, as an interview, in, in terms of that, I, I found it fascinating the way that Detective Maripodi um, Burned his trust, tried, tried to start um, mm. off making sure that everyone knew where they stood. Then it, as Ali said, sometimes it just went and, and weaved into a little bit more of a relaxed chat. Um, Detective Maripodi asking the questions, obviously, that he wanted the answers to, but then very quickly being able to pivot the way that they, depending on how Mr Edwards answered. In terms of at the start, Mr Edwards was obviously very, very... Um, Worried, obviously, concerned, yes. but also a bit, as I say, confused. I don't know what to do. I don't know yes. what the, you're the what you're going to ask me. So how do I know if I need a lawyer if I don't know what the questions are going to be? And and that 
at the start, it appeared that they might not be getting anywhere at all. And then there was just one moment when um, Mr. Um, Detective Maripodi asked Mr. Edwards, um, have you got any medical issues at the moment? Are you, is there anything hmm. you, know, you need to tell me about um, that we need to be aware of in terms of medications? And it was just one little answer that Mr. Edwards gave, oh, well, I've had depression. And that was the little crack in the door that got the interview started right. because Detective Maripodi just just reacted to that. Oh, well, how long have you been had that? Have you had it treated? And that gave them a way in to start to get the interview going in terms of a back and forth. Yeah, very interesting. So, okay, he obviously agrees to answer the questions and we'll just run you through what Mr Edwards had to say in relation to his involvement in the three murders. He's first asked about Kira's murder. I'm not involved in any of that. I'm not involved in anything like that. And then he's asked about Jane's murder. All the stuff you've accused me of, I'm not involved in any of it. And of Sarah Spears, he says... Once again... So, Ali, during this, what's Mr. Edwards' demeanour during these questions? I mean, is he is he emotional? Is he bewildered no, and befuddled? No, he's just quietly. In fact, his demeanour is very similar to how he is in court. He doesn't seem to have a reaction or a response um, that, to me, is a normal response. Um, but I queried when I heard the depression. I thought it, it's a very uh, strange... Um, I know Tim was saying, yes, they're going softly, softly with the questions and he seemed to be lulled into some sort of sense of security about just chatting with them. And, but his answers were very just blandly replied. Um, no, I don't know anything. He didn't seem to raise his voice or get agitated I, um, at all, certainly during not this part. Um, and he just replied like, he, like you're chatting to a friend. I, mm. I just found it very bland. But then again, that's how he reacts in it, how he is in court too. He doesn't seem to react to anything. There's no shaking of the head or anything. And this was he was seemed to be quite comfortable chatting to them. Tim, did you find it interesting that there was a lack of emotion when um, someone is having these absolutely heinous accusations put to them? Yeah, it was. I mean, when you as you listened to the interview going. I got the impression that when, when Mr. Edwards was talking about himself personally or his life or his family or his home or his work, his answers were, ran on a lot, lot longer. He, he mm. talked in longer sentences. He was obviously much more comfortable talking about those things, mm. as you would imagine you would be, rather than when the direct accusations were being put to him. When the accusations were put to him, his his answers were much more, were shorter. They stopped and they were much more emphatic than when he was talking about himself. His voice never really got super emotional. He wasn't a highly charged interview. There, you know, there, there wasn't arms flailing or anything like that. And, and as, as we've observed over the last six months that's that does not appear to be mr edwards's physical demeanor at all he's very undemonstrative he doesn't move much even his non-verbal communication is very quiet can be very subtle but that there was a it, there appeared to me a marked difference between when the allegations were being put to him he was a mo his answers were much more staccato than when he was just being generally asked about himself and then then he felt uh, obviously uh, talked a lot longer and in a lot more detail. 
when he's maybe in it's obviously more comfortable territory in terms mm. of the allegations in the video the detectives go on to question him about the 1995 Karakata cemetery rape offence I don't know anything about any of this and then of the 1988 Huntingdale sex attack he also denies any knowledge I struggled to remember things that happened last week I think that would be something you remember I can't tell you anything I don't know anything about the victim and what happened to her and then um, Sergeant Sergeant Maripodi asks, you know, were you involved in the break-in at her parents' house, to which Mr Edwards replies, I don't know anything about what happened to her. I don't know anything about anyone doing anything there. So this, of course, is very interesting, Tim, because we now know that this is a lie. That they were all lies. Um, and uh, we know that now because Mr Edwards has since admitted um, both those offences. And this, as much as they don't say much in terms of what he says, the prosecution will point to this and say, this says everything you need to know about Mr. Edwards. Um, They called it blatant lying. They've called it uh, um, repeated lying. um, And they will call it lying that the judge has to take into account when he's thumbing up all the answers that are given in, in the interview, because if he lies about these two things, then surely the judge can um, at least um, assume or make a judgment that he could be um, lying about um, the murders of Jane and Kira and the disappearance of Sarah. And Tim, I'm really what? interested in um, his reaction to this particular line of questioning, given that we now know he's pleaded guilty uh, to this. Was there surprise in his voice when he was being asked these questions? Um, yes, yes, there was um, a modicum of surprise, um, you have to say. But these, it was, a lot, there were a lot of denials today. We heard a lot of denials in, in various forms. And at one point later on in the interview, Mr. Edwards says, I don't know how many different ways I could say no to you guys. I'm trying to be honest, but these, these are my answers. And, and that's what they were at that time and this this is a problem for him in in terms of his defense because uh, the prosecution are going to make a, made a big thing about it in uh, in the opening and they're going to make a big thing about it in the closing and and seeing those denials today in terms of those two witnesses or victims who were both in court to see these denials for themselves today um seeing those and the, seeing the way that he denies the murders that they they they're very verbally similar and very non-verbally similar in, 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 in the way that he makes them. And so the prosecution are again going to ask the judge to make a conclusion about those in terms of what Mr Edwards says he didn't do. Yeah. What, what I found interesting, though, was when he was told the name of the victim of that first attack back in 1988, he then went off uh, on a tangent on how he, he did know her from going to primary school and then he told this little story about her brother and how they were in some sort of a scuffle in a swimming pool and that he tended to elaborate quite uh, in lengthy terms about that particular um, victim. Uh, he, he just kept talking, chatting about, about their childhood together at the primary school. So although he denied the attack itself, he did say that he recognised the name and, and told these little this story about their, their school days. 
And Ali and Tim, were you able to see um, the victims in the courtroom and see if there was any reaction um, to mm. this part of the questioning? No, they weren't reacting. Um, they've, they were all there. Um, they glanced across at him at a time. He never looked back. Um, but it was only when the name was mentioned, and at first he said, who? And then afterwards, when it was explained, he did say, oh, yes, um, I knew her knew her from school days, but still didn't admit the attack. Mm. Yeah, there was a, I, I, I saw a, a, a few flickers on, on um, the, the faces. Um, again, I mean, it must be so hard mm. to, to hear yourself mm. and one of your most traumatic moments in your life being talked about in the third person, in an abstract, when you have no control about the questions or answers that you're about to hear, but be talking about you. It must be such a bizarre experience. And then to be in the court with all these strangers and Mr. Edwards um, and the, fen- the families of the, the three um, victims of the m- alleged murders, it, may, it, it just must be such a strange, confronting experience to go through, even after all this time and even having <laughs> been in the court for so long. Again, today was just another... Um, layer on top yeah. when you're hearing from the, the from the man that you now know has attacked you, um, lying about it um, to the police. It must be an incredibly surreal and and just you know really um, daunting experience for them. Mm. What about Mr. Edwards during this particular part of the video recording? How is he reacting in court today? Well, once again, very hard to tell because it doesn't move. There were a lot no. of um, there was a lot of looking down. There was a lot of scribbling on a notepad today. I don't know whether he was taking notes or, um, but, but no, not, not much overt reaction to himself. Um, like there hasn't been much overt reaction to everyone else who's talked about him for for so long. Um, a couple of little sort of glances towards his, his parents who were in court today. Um, but other than that, yeah, just 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 very hard to read. Yeah. Well, in uh, the video evidence, police next questioned him about his uh, first wife and how they met and then also how they separated in 1997. And Mr Edwards had this to say. The guy that was staying with us, they started sleeping together and then they got pregnant and then she left and we split up. I thought everything was going well. She moved out with what's-his-name. And then uh, he was asked about what happened when he confronted his wife about this affair. We were both pretty upset and crying a bit, but it was pretty unreconcilable then. Tim, uh, this obviously, we have heard a lot of evidence about this. Um, how did you read this part of the, of the video evidence? Yeah, so this was, as I say, even though he was talking about something so personal something so personally traumatic i would have i would imagine your first marriage breaking up in such a sort of you know seedy sort of way with the your lodger then sleeping with your wife and getting her pregnant and all the all the all that personal um, trauma and drama that we talked about at the start of the trial he, he, he seemed more comfortable talking about that to these police officers that had just arrested him over these murders um, than at any other time up to that point in the interview. Um, he was asked about it and he was very, very open. He was very, very open about um, his, his wife having cheated on him, the position that he found himself in, in terms of uh, whether he 
didn't know or did know whether he was the father of the, his first wife's child. Um, so again, you would think that someone would be quite loath to talk to uh, detectives about that. But uh, as I observed earlier, he appeared to me to be okay with 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 talking about that subject matter um, uh, over and above um, the other things that he was that he was being asked about. So. Uh- Given how personal um, this is, and he's in this police interview uh, and, and being accused of, of murdering three women, mm. is he uh, not showing any sense of defensiveness or anything like that? No, none at all. In fact, as Tim was saying, he tends to elaborate at times on subjects that he seems to be quite enjoying chatting about. Um, I found the whole reaction quite bizarre. Yeah, defensive. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say he's not. His body language is not closed off. At, at, at times, he has his head in his hands and, and those type of things. Um, but no, he doesn't. He, he doesn't appear to be trying to deflect, if you know what I mean, or yes. or, or, or or push the officers away from the. Que- he's answering the questions. That are put chatting, to him. yeah, just um, chatting. But as I say, uh, uh, it, the, the personal questions he answers much longer than the, the the particular questions that the police have got him in there for. So, in the personal questions, he's not really saying things like, "Oh, well, what are you asking that for?" or "I don't want to answer that." He's no. he's answering and elaborating. Mm. What what did mm. he say mm. when he was asked um, if he, you know, how he felt when his first wife left him, and you know, did he still have feelings for her, or was he angry that she left him? Uh, what did he say about that? Well, it was, it was the answer was as complicated as the relationship, to be honest, mm. because he said, <laughs> I still had feelings for her, but I didn't know whether those feelings were uh, real or whether I was regretful. And then there was the baby in the mix and then um, the, the, the lodger. And, and he also said that the, the way the relationship had started, i.e., she was used to be going out with one of his friends and then he'd made a move on her and then they ended up in this relationship and then they ended up married. He said, at one point, I even thought, well, maybe it's karma. Maybe that something had, you know, the life had taught me a lesson along those lines because of the way that we'd ended up together. Um, so, as I say, it was, quite, it was, it was at, at times surreal, at times... Yes. Banal, but uh, I mean, at all times interesting, of course, because we know why he's there and we know the point that the uh, the police are trying to get to. Was there... very philosophical, wasn't he, about a lot of the stuff, accepting and yes, well, that's where how it goes and that's what happens. And yeah, was there any question at all about the baby? Well, yeah, there was. Uh, Mr. Edwards has basically asked right out. Did you did you think the baby was yours? Did you care if the baby was yours, and did you want the baby to be yours? And in 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 terms of that, he said, "Well, I wasn't sure if the baby had been mine, um, and it had been in a normal relationship in, in inverted commas. Then mm-hmm. there might have been a point where we could have patched things up and had a family together. But mm-hmm. knowing how the baby had come to be conceived, um, in terms of a this this strange three way relationship, he said." Um, that once um, his first wife had had moved out and he decided it was time to to move on um, and and leave her, um, um, leave her get on with her life. Um, And and this is all very, you know, 
interesting, of course, because we're human beings. But in terms of the case, this is very interesting, the prosecution, um, because it is, it is at this point um, that they, they say that, that Mr. Edwards was going out and murdering mm. young women, taking them off the street because of this so-called emotional turmoil or emotional upset that he was going through. That's right. And then, of course, we do know that after um, his first wife had left him, then he dated another woman for a short while. Was he asked about their relationship? Yeah, yes, they were. The older woman, I think we've, we've, we've dubbed her oh. because she was significantly older than, than, than Mr. Edwards. And again, very personal topic yes. for, a, for a detective that's just dragged you out of your home at seven in the morning. She's only two hours after this, you know, getting on for now three hours probably um, after he's been very rudely woken up at the, at the, um, at the, tip of a gun um mr edwards is then answering questions about his, his love life and his sex life and he's quite open again and said well yeah this, this one was a lot older fun. than me <laughs> um a lot older than me um mm. and we, we were just enjoying each other physically it wasn't a relationship that we wanted to get really emotionally but yes we had sex and mm. um even to the point of describing how the, that uh, very conversation had taken place um pillow talk basically when they both decided yeah we're well, you know, we're in it. We're in it for a bit of fun, but not in it for the long term. Yeah, he seemed to be quite indifferent about all his relationships. Um, they were sort of like, yeah, okay, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And um, they asked him about, as you see, his older woman who was about his mum's age. But he, if, if that was okay, that was fine with him. It was just a, a, a very unusual. As, we've, as I've said repeatedly, I was sitting there gobsmacked listening to this. <laughs> And it obviously was that was quite a short period because it was then in April 1997 that he met his second wife. Mm-hmm. Um, what were some of the questions to him by detectives at that point in time about his second wife? Well, again, just trying to, I mean, you get the impression the police were, I mean, I mean these weren't prurient questions. There was, was a point to these questions, obviously, in the context of the police trying to probe Mr. Edwards's uh, love life, sex life, yeah, what's going on life. in his life during this time? Exactly yeah. to try and get a better picture of this man that they just they, they just spent the last sort of week and a half trying to find out everything about them. Now they've got the man himself, so they might as well ask him. But this is to get a better picture of who they were dealing with. Obviously, in terms of particularly his sexual proclivities, because in their minds then, and you know, mostly now. These murders, they thought, were sexually motivated, and as was obviously the attack at Karakata and the attack in, in Huntingdale um, in 1988. Um, and when he was asked about his second wife, uh, again, he was very open. Um, we met um, through work. Her office had been struck by lightning. I was there to fix the phones. We met. We, uh, you know, started going out, um, and then, um, and then. One thing led to another, and, and and later on in the interviews, asked di- different, more detailed questions about their relationship, which revealed a little bit more. Um, but it, once again, he was very open. Yeah, we moved in. Um, it was you know a bit of a bit of a whirlwind romance. I mean, in terms of how they met and 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 and, and hooked, got together quite quickly. Mm. Um, and um, of course, we know pretty much up until the day he was arrested, certainly a few months before he was arrested, and they, was, they were still in that relationship. 
And yeah, that's right, because they separated um, in 2015, I think, isn't it? And Mm. we do know from hearing um, the evidence of the second wife that she said she'd left him because she was, you know, part of it was she was sick of the lies. Mm. Was there any elaboration on that? No, I don't believe there was, was there? Well, yeah, a little little bit. Right at the end of the day, um, we're fast forwarding now. Mm. Yeah. Um, Mr. Edwards is being asked about his um, use and interest in computers. Yeah. And it it comes around to um, his online personas and um, other names he might have used on social media accounts and other email accounts and things that he might have had. And it's at that point that Mr. Edwards revealed a little bit more. He said his, his wife was worried about him having an affair or affairs. And so that was why he was using different Facebook accounts to play games, he claimed. He also said he used different email accounts. And at least one of those email accounts, his wife was going through emails. So I think what we can glean from that is there was a definite level of distrust there. Now, yes. what, what, had, what had sparked that, what had um, led to that, we still don't know. Although some of the questioning by Detective Maripodi about Mr. Edwards's um, earnings, what he earned, what his wife earned, and what was happening to their money, given that Mr. Edwards, again, very openly said at one point in the interview, uh, even though he'd been working for Telstra for 20 years, their financial position was such that his mum and dad still had to drop off food now and again so that they could have some food in the house. So they obviously weren't a well-off family, and we could also tell that by the, the, the state of the house, which was we got a flash of on the interview as well. But Detective Maripari said, so what was happening with the rest of your money, Brad? And he said, oh, well, health insurance and school fees and the mortgage and the like. You could the police were trying to get at something there. We might mm. get into more of it when we see the rest of the interview tomorrow. And couple that with the fact that there was obviously mistrust in the marriage. This, um, this Mr. Edwards' his second wife was going through email accounts, was worried about his online um, activities. It, there was something in the background that has led to her leaving. Um, and as I say, but the, that's what she alluded to when we saw her evidence way back at the start of the trial. That's right. And we know, of course, that she had been going through uh, Mr. Edwards' old bank records. So detectives did ask him during this video um, interview about the Claremont area, if he used to go there. And and Tim, what does he tell them? Well, where? yeah, once again, this was a portion of the interview that his answers got very short. They got very staccato and they got very blunt, if I can say that. Did you ever go, did you know Claremont? No. Did you ever used to go out nightclubbing in Claremont? No. Did you ever go to Club Bayview? No. Did you ever go to the Continental Hotel? No. It was very short and sharp with his, any, all of his answers about Claremont, apart from he admitted that he'd done some work there in 2009 at a Bankwest branch, a bank branch there. He'd done some work there. But other than that, he was very clear, or he, he seemed to be trying to be very clear, that he had no association, um, daytime or nighttime, with Claremont. And particularly when he was asked, would you have had any reason to be driving around Claremont at night? No. He was emphatic.
Yeah. Ali, was he also asked at the time about, um, you know, the area around Karakata? He said he only knew Karakata as a cemetery because it was a very, very big cemetery. But he, uh, when asked about the nightclubs and that, he said he'd never gone to any of the Claremont nightclubs. He, then he gave a list of hotels that, that he did go to. But um, he said he just remembers vaguely the area, driving down Stirling Highway. He called it Medlands. Uh, as Tim said, it was those replies were very abrupt, whereas previously he never challenged any of the questions uh, of, that he was being asked. He never said, well, what's that got to do with anything? He was quite happy to chat about and elaborate on the very other topics. He, he only gave them sort of like quite abrupt answers when it related straight to Claremont. And so when he's asked, for instance, about, you know, if he knows about Row Park or, he's, or he knows the Karakata area, do the detectives um, then press him I- I- during this interview or they take his very abrupt answer and they move on to the next one? They move around it, I think. Hmm. Uh, they, they come from a different angle. Um, and he, well, he may not have known Row Park. I mean, even we who live in Claremont don't always know the name of the actual small parks. It's a very small park at the end of the um, area where the girls were all taken. Um, so he, he, he said, no, he didn't know the name of that. But um, the rest of it, he was uh, just, he, he deviated a little bit about, the, the nightclubs have talked about bands that he, he played there and, and so forth. But, um, yeah, no, it, um, it, 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 I keep saying, it was just a very, very unusual to me um, reaction to a police interview after you've been accused of murdering three mm. women and sexually attacking two others. Yeah. Mm. So, Tim, what about when they ask Mr Edwards if he knew about, you know, three women being murdered in Claremont? Well, his reaction to that would be, I, I think, mirrored by probably 98% of the people he went up to in <laughs> Perth. He said, yes, I, 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 of course I've heard about those murders yeah. who haven't. Yes. But then he was asked, but what do you know about them, Bradley? And he said, well, nothing. I don't know mm. anything about anything. Um, I haven't got any knowledge. Um, uh, you know, and any knowledge is knowledge, isn't it? So yeah. once again, he was comfortable up to a point and then when he was directly confronted with these most 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 serious allegations his answers were as Ali said abrupt and short and to the point I I don't know a thing but the tone of his voice didn't change it was still that sort of very level um flat uh, no indignation or anything like that, was it? Mm. It was just very, very, well, like, like his persona. Uh, what about the, um, the bringing up of the DNA? Is this where he was, you know, asked, well, you know, how about any DNA that might be recovered from the scenes or, mm. or the locations, for instance, where Kira and Jane's bodies were discovered? Yeah, so this, uh, th- this is a really interesting point of the interview, I'm guessing around about the halfway point. And this is the, one of the first times that the two officers and Detective Maripodi in particular show their hand a little bit. Just mm. let Mr. Edwards know, look, this is not just a random arrest, old mate. I mean, we, we, you know, we have something. We oh. they do have something. And so how would your DNA be at any of these scenes? How would your DNA 
be at the Karakata scene? How would your DNA be at the Huntingdale scene? And how would your DNA come to being found um, in or on or around Kira Glennon's remains? And it is, uh, again, Mr. Edwards is, is, is emphatic in his answers. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know how my DNA would be there. I don't know why you're telling me my DNA would be there. Um, but it is at that point that the, the, the police use a, well, it's not a tactic. It's something, it's, it's an investigative tool that they are within their rights to do. And that is to take a DNA sample from Mr. Edwards. Uh-huh. And it is at that point, after they've asked him all those DNA questions directly, for the first time, they say, okay, Bradley, well, we're going to now ask you to consent to give your DNA to us. Oh, um, and, and, and what's the reaction at that point? He does, yeah. Well, that... Is he me, reluctant? Um, again, it's a more of, well, I don't know what I should be doing here. Right. Um, mm. But in the end, he does voluntarily mm. give his DNA. So the two detectives that are doing the questioning leave the room to other um, police officers come in, read Mr. Edwards, his DNA rights, if I can put them in, in that terms, in terms mm-hmm. of this is what we want you to do. If you don't do this, we're going to go, we can go to court and get a court order. So it's up to you whether you want to give it to us. In the end, he does. And this is what we talked about. This is the buckle swab. So this is the swab that they take from the inside of your mouth with a in a sealed forensic um, um a tube um, and it is at that point that they then have a, a formal DNA sample from Mr Edwards which is then whisked away to the Pathwest lab um, and tested basically on the spot. The, mm. the formal interview is at that point suspended yes. while they wait for those results um, and and then we come back um, to the interview about three hours later um, when the when the questioning um, resumes. So that, to, yeah, at that, that that was the point to me um, where I felt Mr. Edwards's um, non-verbal body language was quite telling when he's being explained what the police in the, wanted. Sorry, in the video or in yes, the doctor? No, in the video. Yeah, sorry, in the video. Yes, yep. I should have stressed that in the video. He he slumps forward. Both of his head are in his hands. Mm. He looks tired. He looks drawn. Um, he looks emotional. Um, and then interestingly, when we come back to the video, he's lying on the floor um, of the video room, um, obviously trying to take the opportunity to get some rest. Um, And it is that point the video resumes, and again, Detective Maripodi then checks whether Mr. Edwards is all right, and Mr. Edwards says, yes, I've been offered something to eat, but I'm not hungry, and yes, I've been offered to, to go to the toilet, but I just mm. couldn't go. So mm. it's at that point you can really see that this is maybe the gravity of the situation is is, is mm. sinking in a little bit. Um, obviously a hugely stressful situation for anyone to go through. Um, but then the interview um, resumes and the style of the interview resumes, if I can put it that way, because more direct allegations, more direct denials, but then more personal questions yes. and more personal revelations. 
And and some of those personal questions were questions about his childhood, and and this probably mm. was you know one of the first times we've really heard about his upbringing, uh, particularly from Bradley Edwards himself. Yeah, and it didn't sound like a completely traditional upbringing, I've got to say. Um, so Mr. Edwards tells the police that he was born in a little town called Marawa, which is a, a regional WA town, but then lived in a caravan with his parents and his brother for the first eight years of his life, travelling to various points um, of the compass in Western Australia. Um, but then as he and his brother are growing older, it, it would appear the caravan got a bit small. It was at this point Mr. Edwards' his sister was born as well, um, he describes how his dad used to work for telecom as well. His mother was um, was a uh, a great mum. That's how that's how Mr. Edwards described her. They then moved to various um, rental properties um, in the outer suburbs of Perth. Um, a, a while they, they, a house had been built for them, um, which is the house that they eventually ended up spending um, a lot of. Mr. Edwards' childhood um, in Huntingdale, just around the corner from the, the scene of that um, 1988 attack. Um, he's asked about his schooling. Um, he's asked about whether he was teased at school. He's asked about his girlfriends. He's asked about his friends. He's asked about his siblings. Um, yeah, at one point, he, he says, yes, I was teased because I wore glasses. Um, but a lot of kids were back then in, the, in those days. Um and so, yeah, um, Mr. Edwards' childhood, in his own words, is, is, is once again something that we've ne- never heard before, never heard in that detail. But again, trying to put it into the whole context of how the interview was progressing, it was interesting that, that the police went to that personal area mm. directly after the, or, or soon after the break. Uh, almost as if they were, they knew that that was a way to perhaps For him to get open Mr. up, Mr. Edwards, to open up a bit more about himself because he seemed yes, more I think so. comfortable mm. talking about himself. Mm. And then we pivot again back to some of the most shocking accusations that you can make to uh, to any one person. Yeah, I mean, Ali, have you, Maria, ever seen an interview? I guess of this intensity and this duration uh, played in a courtroom. Not of this intensity, no. Um, usually they're very, very short. And uh, But I've never seen a reaction like his either, where he does seem at some times and seems to be quite enjoying chatting about various events. And then um, just the whole... It's almost like there's a couple of personalities in there. You know, it's just strange. I, I found the whole thing quite unsettling. I, um, I found that he... Uh, was a very unusual person in the, just the way he accepted things. Of course, I could understand the way the police were doing it because he was chatting about things that he enjoyed chatting about and then would tighten up um, and get a little bit defensive when it got to the nitty-gritty. It um, would be very interesting to see how it pans out um, later on when they get to other subjects. Yeah, well, a, an extraordinary thing to witness. And tomorrow you'll hear the rest of the video and see the rest of the video. And, uh, Tim, Justice Hall... Um, will make a decision on whether to release audio to the media? Uh, yeah, so uh, as, as we described earlier in the podcast and yesterday, because of the coronavirus situation, because of the social distancing court, because of the uh, extreme public interest, Justice Hall has made the, made the decision a few, uh, few weeks ago now to put audio transcript of each of the day's proceedings up online to accommodate the public interest while trying to possibly discourage as many people coming to court 
um, as that they might well. It didn't have didn't have the desired effect today, given no. the keys <laughs> outside. But so that means that today's proceedings will go up onto the Supreme Court website in an audio form at some stage um, in the in in the next few days. But the caveat to that is. There are a lot of suppressed witnesses in this trial. The, the, the names of those witnesses, it, they include Mr. Edwards' first wife, Mr. Edwards' second wife, Mr. Edwards' um, stepdaughter, obviously the victim of the Karakata attack, the victim of the Huntingdale attack. And all those people and more are mentioned by name in this interview, obviously, because it, it, it would be very strange for the police to not use the names of Mr. Edwards' nearest and dearest when he, when they're asking questions about them. Yes. So that's going to mean that this audio transcript is going to have to be very carefully edited to make sure that none of those protected persons, suppressed persons' identities are put up on the court website. So that's why I think it's going to take probably a little bit longer for today's proceedings, or the audio transcript of them anyway, to get onto that website. I think it will happen, but... Uh, um, I, I, I just suggest to our listeners to, to be as patient as you can while I know everyone is desperate to hear from it there. Hear those words in, um, in the, with their own ears, um, but I think it might take a little bit of time um, to, to, to filter through um, the various processes that it has to go through to protect the people that need to be protected. Yes, it, it won't be uh, that quick. And just to add to that, Tim, that mm. the court website obviously does have very strict rules about how people can listen. So obviously you can't save copies, you can't distribute. It is literally to listen, um, but clearly not to broadcast. Well, you can't record it, yes, that's right. And But it's also important because I was just thinking it's very hard for a reporter to interpret the tone and his actual re- response uh, and replies. Uh, to describe the actual tone of his voice. So I think it's important that um, if people can hear it, they'll get a true true picture of what we're trying to talk about. Yeah, that's mm. right. Well, thank you both so much for your day today, a very long day, and thank you to Josh for helping us out also. You can reach us at claremontpodcast at wanews.com.au and we'll be back tomorrow for day 85 of Claremont in Conversation. This podcast is hosted by Natalie Bongiolo, produced by Kate Ryan and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. And if local news delivered differently appeals to you, tune into WA's newest morning show, The West Live with Jenna Clark. It's talkback radio, but without the interruptions. Listen live weekdays from 8.45am on thewest.com.au or catch up with the podcast.